Well, good morning, folks. I am glad we're back in the building today. Last weekend, I was a little snowy out, if you didn't know. And so we were online only. If you're online today, I'm so glad you're with me right here, back together again, as we continue this journey through the book of Exodus, talking about how the people of God moved out of the darkness of slavery and oppression and into the light of the land that God had promised to them. And we're finding truths all along the way of how we can move out of the darkness of sin and into the light of the life that God has called us to live. This morning we're going to be talking in Exodus uh, 4, 5, and 7. We're going to jump through just a little bit. If you want to go ahead and get that ready, I'd love for you to. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, I want to give you one. If you're in the room today at the Next Steps table, we have these blue Bibles. If you're online, send a message and we can get one to you before next Sunday. But as you're getting ready to hear from God in Exodus 4, 5, and 7, I just want to ask you a question that you can wrestle with a little bit. It's a question that I wrestle with all the time. To to be honest, I struggle with this just like you do. We all have a hard time with this. Here's the question. Are you proud or are you humble? Are you a proud person or are you a humble person? How do you live your life? In James chapter 4, verse 6, in James 4, 6, uh, the James, the brother of Jesus, the writer, he says this. He says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Throughout Scripture, we deal with this, uh, this refrain of pride versus humility. And when I say pride, I'm, I'm not talking about the, the good kind of pride. I, I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of something I did. I, I'm talking about the arrogant, sinful kind of pride. We wrestle with it all throughout Scripture. And we learn that humility is the beginning of spiritual transformation, but pride is the enemy of change. We know from Scripture all throughout it that humility is how we hear God, but pride blocks listening. We know that humility prepares us to receive God's will, but pride bars us from our potential it blocks us from it in short i could sum it up and just say that pride is an obsession with yourself that simple in exodus chapter 20 we'll get there in a few weeks here but in exodus 20 god delivers the ten commandments to moses he he lays these ten commandments out and the first one he says is you shall have no other gods before me well pride attacks that command it's an obsession with yourself to where you put yourself in the place of that command you say god says i have no gods before him but i'm going to make myself my own god that is what pride does we're going to wrestle with pride and humility this morning because as we read through exodus 4 5 and 7 we're going to see a proud king of egypt pharaoh we're going to see a humble people of god and we're going to see all through it where we fall i'm praying that god will answer the question for you will pinpoint areas of pride, will eradicate them from your life. Let me pray for us real quick, and we'll jump into Exodus. Father, I ask that you would let your Spirit speak very clearly out of this word to us this morning. 
I ask, Father, you would pinpoint the areas of pride in our life and you would highlight them and you would eradicate them and you would show us that the only cure for pride is, in fact, humility, to humble ourselves before you. I pray that, Father, we would leave this room, we would leave this space, wherever we're at, and worshiping you. We would leave it convicted and challenged to be a humble people that bring hope and healing to a broken world rather than prideful people that break it further. Father, I'm asking for your grace and your mercy right now. In Jesus' name, amen. In Exodus chapter 4, in Exodus chapter 4, we're going to jump right in as Moses and his brother Aaron go to the king of Egypt. Now, we already read last week, it was, uh, we were all online, so if you missed the message, go back and watch it. I want to encourage you to do so as you hear how Moses met with God and God called him to go to the king of Egypt. Moses felt entirely inadequate that he trusted the provision of God. In fact, at one point in the narrative as he's talking to God through the burning bush, Moses just says, I, I just don't want to go. Please send someone else. And God says, go anyway. And Moses humbly accepts the challenge and walks into Egypt to confront the king. Now we know that Moses' primary concern was that he wasn't eloquent enough to address a king. And so God sent his brother Aaron to speak on his behalf. And that's what's going to happen here in Exodus 4, verse 29. It says that Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. Before they went to the king of Egypt, they went to the people of God. Brought them all together. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed when they saw and they heard what God had said. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. When we hear from God, the only two responses is, one, to humble ourselves before. The people of God choose to humble. They bow themselves down on their knees, their faces to the ground, their hands open to receive whatever God is going to say to them in that moment. The other option is to proudly and angrily shake a fist at God and say, no. I'm going to do it my way. It says in chapter 5, the next verse, afterward, after Moses and Aaron had met the people of God and they had humbly bowed before the Lord, after that, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And they said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. They say, God says this, Pharaoh, hear it. But Pharaoh does not respond the way the people of God did. He does not respond by humbly bowing down, face to the ground, palms open to receive from God. Pharaoh responds in a different way. A different way. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. Now, in Pharaoh's defense, he didn't know God. Pharaoh had no interaction with God. He had interacted with the people of God on many occasions. Uh, you know, Pharaoh is not just one man. It's the title for the king of Egypt. And so the Pharaohs over history had interacted with the people of God 
fact, way back, 400 years or so before this, there's a famine in all the land, and the people of God through Joseph came into the land, and the Israelites and the Egyptians alike were rescued from the famine by God's provision. He had interacted with the people of God. He'd interact with the people of God right now even. He, he could look out his window of his palace. He could see the people of God living out in the, the desert, working out in the fields in the desert, making bricks and being brutally and harshly oppressed by his rule and his command. He had interacted with the people of God. He had been the one to order the death of all the baby boys some 80 years before this of the people of God. Pharaoh didn't know God. He just knew God's people. And when Pharaoh heard that God had said, let my people go, all he could imagine was an attack on his sovereignty, a loss of his power, something he was going to have to give up and let go of. And Pharaoh says, no way. And so Pharaoh's response is to shake a fist at God and said, I don't know you. I don't like you, and I'm going to do things my way. And he shakes a fist at God. That is the response. Years ago, I was leading a a mission trip, a a group of uh, high school and college students who were going on a mission trip, and we were in the Cincinnati, Ohio airport. We had lined up in the check-in lines, those, those long things they string up, you know. We were getting ready to go through those, and we were waiting to go to the desk. And right up in front of us, there was a guy, and I've I've shared the story before, you may have heard this, there was a guy just in front of us, had a backpack on. The whole time we were in line, he'd been grumbling and complaining, shuffling his feet, muttering under his breath. He was clearly upset. Maybe you know what that feels like to be in the airport and upset at something. He had experienced everything the airline had to offer, and he wasn't pleased with it. And he got up to the front of the line, and he got up there to the desk where this poor young lady was working, and he chose to take out all of his anger and all of his frustration on this poor young lady. And he got up there, and he immediately raised his voice. He immediately pounded his fist down on the desk and demanded to be helped. This poor young lady... she, She responded in probably the best way possible. She was at the desk, and she just put her hands on the desk... And she just very quietly said, I'm sorry, sir. It seems like you're having a bad day. He didn't like that. He got angrier. The more she talked, the angrier he got. And he's pounding on the desk, and he's demanding to get what he wants, and he's yelling, he's muttering, he's kicking the desk even. He is pitching a royal fit at the desk up there. That's what pride does. Pride demands to get what you want, when you want, how you want for whatever reason you want. This young lady just stood there just as calm as could be. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, sir. I wish I could help you, sir. I'm sorry. It sounds like that was hard. I'm sorry, sir. Very humbly and very politely and very gently responding to his every prideful, angry, yelled statement. But he wasn't getting what he wanted. And so then in the grand finale of the whole thing, he took his hand and he smacked the desk. And he just said, ah! I don't know how to spell that. He just said, 
Ah! And he reached into the pocket of his backpack right here. He dug down deep into it, and he ripped his hand out of there holding a stick of deodorant. And he, for emphasis, went, ah, again. And he threw the deodorant as high as he could, and he stomped off. I had my backpack on. I just watched that deodorant fly. Watched him walk away, and that deodorant came straight back down again and ran the floor. So I did what I think you would have done, and I pulled my phone out. I took a picture of it on the ground because that was a story to share for later. But that young lady at the desk stood there, and she said, Next. Just as polite and humble and gentle as she possibly could be. That's what pride does. Pride demands what I want, when I want, how I want, for whatever reason I want, and I want it right now. That man, as he threw his deodorant in the air, as he stomped off, as he yelled his gutturals, that man was accomplishing nothing. It was impotent rage. That's what pride does. That man stomped off muttering to everybody he passed, thinking that maybe these other flyers, travelers, would be able to help him. They had nothing they could do for him. That's what pride does. It tries to infect everybody else. That's what Pharaoh did to God. God sends Moses and Aaron and says, let my people go. They're going to go into the wilderness. They're going to offer sacrifices out there. Let them go to do the thing that I've sent them to do. And Pharaoh shook a fist and threw his deodorant in the air and said, ah, no. Because he was not going to relinquish what he wanted, when he wanted it, how he wanted it, and where he wanted it. That's what pride does. And Pharaoh is ate up with pride. So then, back to the text, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey to the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. The plagues are coming, you know, in the story. He may. But the king of Egypt says, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? He's fixated on what he wants, because in his universe, he is the center. He is the big dog. He is sovereign to himself. Why are you taking them away? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, he's not done yet, he said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Pharaoh views the people of God simply as a forced labor group that that does whatever he tells them to do, and he says, you're stopping them. Tell them to get back to work. But Pharaoh's not done yet. He is ready to go on, and he's going to attack them with a plan to prove his power, his sovereignty, his authority, his pride is at work. He's going to teach him who's boss. He's going to show him who's really in charge. And that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. Take away their materials. Tell them to work faster. 
They are lazy. That's what pride does. It accuses, it slanders, it calls names. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they will keep working and pay no attention to lies. That is what pride does, and Pharaoh attacks the people. As we read through this, Pharaoh is the object of pride here. The people of God are the object of humility, humbling themselves before the Lord. But we can't forget, we cannot forget, that there's a whole other group right here in the text. There's a whole other group in here. With the Israelites, we have Moses and Aaron and their humble attitude of accepting the challenge that God gave them. And then we have the elders, the leaders of the people of God, and their humble attitude in accepting it. And that humble attitude, that humility trickles down throughout the people. When you have humble leaders, you have humble people. It trickles down through. That's one of our greatest strengths as a church, is that we have elders, leaders that are humble men. We have deacons that are humble men, servants. We have staff that are humble leaders, men and women. It trickles down through the family, the church, the group, the organization, the nation, the people. It trickles down. But pride does the same thing. Over here you have the king of Egypt who is proud, shaking a fist at God, saying no. And pride infects all that are around it. There's another group. It's the people of Egypt. The people of Egypt are all around. We can't forget that. We can't forget that Pharaoh is not single-handedly subjugating the Israelites. He is speaking to his overseers. He's speaking to his slave drivers. He is telling them what to do. And they are relaying it. They are condoning it. They are taking part in it. They are guilty of pride. They are proud people. But there's others. Now, I'm sure there was an Egyptian somewhere that would stand in his or her house and look out the window and say, as they watched the Egyptians brutally oppressing the Hebrews, I'm sure they looked out and thought, well, that's not right. But they did nothing about it. I'm sure there was a, an Egyptian that was standing there washing the dishes one day and looked out the window and saw the oppression, the slavery, the horrible thing happening and said, well, we can't allow that. But then they looked back at the dish they were holding and said, but I kind of like the fruit of the labor of the Israelites, and so I'm going to do nothing and allow the brokenness of the world to continue. There's a whole other group in here. And the people of Egypt are guilty of being a proud nation that oppressed other people even though they weren't doing the work. They were condoning it in their silence, in their brokenness. But as followers of God, we don't do that. Followers of Jesus stand for those who can't stand for themselves. Followers of Jesus speak for those who can't speak for themselves. I want to pause the Egyptian uh, Exodus narrative here, and I want to jump in Scripture with you. Just listen to this in Proverbs 31. Maybe you've heard Proverbs 31 before. It ends the book of Proverbs talking about this noble character, the, a wife that is of noble character. It talks about all that. But the first half of chapter 31, this is what it says. It says, The sayings of King Lemuel and inspired utterance his mother taught him. This is the words of King Lemuel's mother. She says, listen, my son, listen, son of my womb, listen to me, the answer to my prayers. 
Don't spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty, remember their misery no more. She says all these things to her son about how he can be a good king. See, his mother wants him to be a good king, a good leader of his people. And then she says this, this is what I want you to hear. This is what she says to him. She says, son, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. If you want to be a good king, if you want to be a good leader, you speak for those who can't speak for themselves. She says, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. If you want to be a good leader, if you want to be a good neighbor, you defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You stand up for those who can't stand for themselves. You speak for those who can't speak for themselves. In the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, he echoes these sentiments. He says similar things. Because following Jesus, it's not just about listening and praying and thinking and singing and reading. Following Jesus is also about doing. It's also about speaking. It's also about standing up. In James Chapter 1, verse 27, James says this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. We don't get to just stand by, look out our window and see oppression, see hurting, see brokenness, see, see pain and say, oh, I'm just one voice and let it go. We don't get to do that because following Jesus is also about doing and embracing. James says in chapter 2, Verse 13, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or without food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? You can't just think good, happy, positive thoughts about somebody. If you're following Jesus, you've got to do something. James says in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not all just only solely about thinking, singing, praying, listening, reading. It's also about doing. Followers of Jesus stand up and speak for those who cannot stand and speak for themselves that's the way it has always been. In Exodus, the Egyptians right here, they, I'm sure, had somebody somewhere that didn't like the oppression. There was somebody that had a soft heart and a compassion and thought this is not the way the world's supposed to be. But then they considered the power that the broken world had over them. They chose to stay silent. I'm sure they looked out and they saw the, the, the problems, but then they considered the the life, the comfort that they had, and the, the ease they lived with, and they chose to stay silent. I'm sure they looked out, and they saw it, and they hated it, but then they thought, I'm the only one who feels this way. Maybe, maybe nobody else agrees with me, and so they stayed silent. And by staying silent, they were condoning the pride of their nation, pride that was shaking a fist at God. When the Israelites heard the words of God, they humbled themselves and they bowed down 
They held their hands up and they worshipped God and they received His words and His will. When the king of Egypt heard the words of God, he shook a fist and said, I'm just going to do what I do and I'm going to do it more to prove my power. That's what pride does. Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not, I never will be advocating for proud protests of political policies and cultural evils. I, I don't see that in Scripture anywhere. I don't see anywhere that Jesus took part in some public protest or any of these things. Jesus never did that. But Jesus always, he, he did take part in embracing the hurt in the world. He always did. The closest to a protest you get in Scripture, maybe with Jesus, is when he flipped over the tables in the temple. But even then, he wasn't protesting anything. He was simply cutting out the sickness, cutting out the evil, healing the temple, just like he healed the cripple. He was doing the same thing. Jesus embraced hurting people. He didn't protest against it. He was active. He stood up for, he did for people who couldn't do for themselves. And when he walked along and he saw the leper that no one would touch because you couldn't touch it, it was, it was against the law. No one touched the leper because there was fear of getting leprosy. Jesus walked right up and gave him a hug. And when Jesus encountered the thieves, the tax collectors, those that had, that had betrayed their people, specifically he, he approached Matthew, the tax collector, and he said, Matthew, come be one of my followers. And he embraced him into his family. He came to Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go eat at your house, and I'm going to hang out with you. And he embraced him in his home for a meal. That's what he did. When Jesus encountered the broken, the, the crippled, he put a hand on their shoulder, he put an arm around them, and he healed them. When Jesus encountered the lost, the, the Romans, the oppressors, he turned the other cheek and was led like a lamb to the slaughter. When Jesus came from heaven to earth, because God so loved everybody, Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for everyone. He didn't protest. He brought healing. And he brought hope. And he engaged the hurt. He didn't look out his window and see somebody limping by in pain and say, I'm too busy for that today. It's a, it's a rest day for me. He didn't walk down the street and see somebody sitting there begging and say, he'll be all right. He embraced the hurt. He healed and humbly brought hope to the hurt people he encountered. As followers of Jesus, that's what we do. All through history, the followers of Jesus have been documented doing that same thing in war zones, in leper colonies, when the plague rages around the world. We've always been documented as bringing hope and healing to hurting people. That's what Christians do. That's what followers of Jesus do. It's all over Scripture. And when we hear the Word of God calling us to go bring His hope, to go bring His message, to come bring His healing, to make disciples, when we hear His words and we hear His will, we can either humbly bow down and accept it 
and to walk forward saying, I feel like I'm inadequate, but I'm trusting God to provide. Or we can stand up and say, not on my watch. I'm going to do things my way so I stay comfortable. That's what pride does. If we go back to the Exodus narrative, Exodus chapter 7, we read here that the, the conversation has gone on for a while, and then the Lord says to Moses in verse 1 of chapter 7, He says, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's a tough one right there because does that mean that God is the one that's hardening? Is he causing Pharaoh to fail? And I don't think so. From the context of everything that I read in the book of Exodus, God didn't set Pharaoh up to fail. God allowed situations where Pharaoh failed because of the state of his heart. But God allowed the situations to happen that would harden Pharaoh's heart. God says, though I multiply my Signs and my wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. God is about to start leveling plague after plague against the people of God. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. It says Moses was the young age of 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Just as a side note, just to pause this, this isn't really part of the message, but side note, in the kingdom of God, you do know there is no retirement age, right? When you start following Jesus, there's no retirement age. In fact, when you reach retirement age, that's a bonus because you retire from your job and then you get to devote all those hours used to work. You gain time to go bring hope and healing to embrace hurting people. You gain time. In the kingdom of God, as a follower of Jesus, when you retire from your job, you step into full-time ministry. You get to go bring hope and healing to everybody you meet. The next verse says, The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, it will become a snake. Remember in the wilderness when Moses met God at the burning bush, he threw his staff down and turned to a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. And Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers. The Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff. It became a snake. Pharaoh sees the staff snake thing, and he says, oh, big deal. I can do that too. And he calls his magicians, his people, and they throw their staffs down. They turn into snakes right there. He's like, see, I'm the king here. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs because Pharaoh's pride doesn't stand a chance against the might of the kingdom of God. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Pharaoh refused to humble himself. His heart was so hard, he refused to humble himself. Pharaoh refused to receive what God was saying and he rejected it all. And Pharaoh is setting up this catastrophic battle between his kingdom and God's kingdom. Pharaoh refused to listen. You see, Moses' humility trickled down through the elders all the way through the people of God. And Moses' humility, we know the end of the story in the book of Exodus, through Moses' humility, his humble attitude, God rescued an entire nation. 
An entire people, millions of Israelites were saved because of Moses' humble attitude before God. And we know that Pharaoh's pride before God, his pride before God, as the people went in the wilderness and he sends his army to catch them, his pride, we know, that it cost an entire army their lives. Moses' humility rescued the nation. Pharaoh's pride killed his army. See, after this, after this in the text, we, we're going to read next week how God begins to send plagues against the, peop- the people of Egypt. But truthfully, the first plague of turning water into blood, the, the first plague, that wasn't the first plague that, that Pharaoh was facing. Because his pride, his pride was a plague that was going to cost him everything. See, 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 pride is a plague that will cost you everything. If you're living life prideful, when I ask the beginning, are you proud or are you humble? If you say I'm a proud person and I do things my way, I don't listen to anybody, not even God. I tell God what I'm going to do. If you're living that way, if you're living that proud kind of life, it's going to cost you everything. Everything. It cost Pharaoh part of his nation, his whole army, his, his authority as a leader, it cost him everything. Pride is a plague that will cost you everything. And the only cure for it is to humble yourself before God. It's the only cure. And that is why every time we're together, and I'm going to say it right now, I invite you in this room online, I invite you to humble yourself before God and to follow Him. The way that we follow Jesus here, the way we become a follower, is that we, we are humbled enough to say, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've failed. And we change the way we think about it, and we let God's thinking become our thinking. We're lowered into water to be baptized, and our sins are forgiven by the gift of Jesus on the cross, and then we're raised out of the water to receive the Holy Spirit so that we can walk as people to stand up for those that can't stand for themselves. We get to walk as people who speak the truth in a world full of lies. If you've never followed Jesus, I invite you to do that today. I invite you, if you're in the room here, you can see me at the next steps table. If you're online, send a message right now. We'll, we'll communicate with you. But if you're somebody that's been following Jesus for any amount of time, then today, right now, in this place, in this moment, I want you to hear this challenge. To let God pinpoint the pride in your life, eradicate it, so that the plague of pride doesn't cost you the potential of your future in the kingdom of God. And you become someone that looks out your window. You look for hurt. You look for pain. You look for brokenness so that you can run to it and you can embrace it and you can pick it up and you can help to bring hope and Jesus' healing to it. That is what the people of God do. I want to pray for us here and then we're going to stand and sing one more song together as we respond to Jesus. And my hope is that you'll take a next step of hearing God's word, humbling yourself, and walking toward the pain to bring the healing. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would speak to us right now, that you would call us your own. Father, I pray that you would bring, you'd bring to our lives a relief as we step away from the sin that's been plaguing us, the pride that's been plaguing us, we would step toward your health.
your wholeness. And Father, I ask that you would let us be a people that boldly, that confidently, that gently stand up and speak your truth. And Father, I pray you'd bring wholeness and healing to the broken world all around us right here. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.